Sports Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Pete at the com. That's the email. And um, shifting gears here from the uh, Mecklenburg County Commission, I want to welcome back to the program. We got Andy Jackson. He is the director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity. Hey, Andy, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So busy week. I know I was going to, uh, we had you on last week and I was going to bring you back at the end of the week, but stuff just kept happening. So, uh, we gave it a couple extra days here and, uh, more stuff has happened. Uh, so at the John Locke Foundation, you've been, uh, monitoring these, uh, the redistricting, uh, stuff. And, uh, so first off, I should give an update here that a trial court panel, this is the, the original court, the three judge panel on the redistricting maps. They said, let's bring in this outside expert, this uh, special master, uh, to help determine whether the maps that the legislature is going to draw, whether they pass muster, right? Um, that's where it stands right now. So first off, I haven't spoken with you since the ruling came or the order came down. Uh, what are your thoughts on it uh, at first glance? What's your impression of the order? And uh, do you have any clarity as to what they're advising? Well, yeah, the the order itself that came from the Supreme Court last Friday at about six o'clock, I think, um, was a bit of a hot mess. Um, they they really didn't provide any guidance. They just said we're going to strike these down. They did lay out some principles that they wanted the uh, General Assembly or anybody else who draws maps, who's a party to the case, um, and they want to submit those maps. And they they lay out a few things. There's there's uh, four different analyses that they suggested. One of them is actually not an analysis. It was just a principle that one of the expert witnesses had done, so you can discard that. So there's three different possible analyses, but they also said that you that they need to consider North Carolina's unique political geography. You can put that in quotes because the three pieces of analyses they did, median mean difference, uh, efficiency gap, et cetera, uh, none of those actually incorporate an understanding of a state's geography. So even people that advocate for their use say that you can't really just run them by themselves. So what the court has told the General Assembly and maybe the plaintiffs if they want to, to do doesn't logically fit. So you're going to have to kind of have to get that, that round peg into a square hole uh, in order for the General Assembly to actually do what they believe the court wants them to do. Which I guess is why there's this sentiment, a belief that uh, the court order is essentially setting the General Assembly up to fail so they can then use the special master maps or the maps from the plaintiffs instead. That, that certainly looks like, like that is at least a possibility. Um, and that opens up another possibility about interpreting North Carolina, the North Carolina Constitution, because the North Carolina Constitution specifically charges the General Assembly with drawing maps. And once the, the maps are implemented, they can only be drawn once every 10 years. But what do you do if the General Assembly wasn't the ones to draw the maps as they're constitutionally required to do? Does that count as being enacted maps for the entire 10 years or not? And if this court accepts a uh, map from a special master or from uh, one of the plaintiffs, I think that's going to be an open question that the Supreme Court, as it's constituted in 2023, may have to handle. 
which might be a Republican majority at that point, which might upend the maps again. So a lot of lawyers making money on uh, on our maps. Uh, So one of the things that I have heard in the discussions about gerrymandering and redistricting in North Carolina, I've heard it for years that we're a 50-50 state. And you wrote about this. You made a shocking assertion that actually, no, we're not a 50-50 state. So explain yourself, Dr. Andy Jackson. Explain yourself. Well, we're not. If you actually look at the uh, statewide elections over the past um, 10 years, going back to 2012, you find out that there is a small but persistent Republican advantage. And depending on how you measure it, um, it's either like a 51-49 or a 52-48, I think, uh, Real Clear Politics, I'm sorry, 538, which is a data analysis webpage, I think puts it close to a 52.5 to a 47.5 in that range. And that small persistent advantage has meant, for example, um, out of all the statewide races that have been run in North Carolina, uh, about 58% of them have been won by Republicans. And similarly, uh, that small advantage that Republicans have uh, translates into a similar advantage with state legislative districts. Um, it, it's, it's, so, it's a formula. It's complicated, but basically uh, yeah. you get more seats in the, in the legislature than you would in the vote. So, right. So for folks who say, well, it's 5248, big deal. Like you're just nitpicking. That's, you know, it's still, it's 5050. It's close enough, right? This gets to, but you say, no, it is a big deal because that four percentage points as it is represented in that data point you run it through this thing you call the cube rule which i gotta yeah. tell you i'd never heard before but uh you say yeah. it is the ratio of votes between parties uh if it's an a to b ratio then that ratio of seats is a to the third power to b to the third power a cubed to b cubed so it's like a it's there's a cubed effect that's what the rule is so how does that how does that work though? Why does that and, and do we know that that actually is true? Like that is that borne out by the by the data? It generally is true. It's not universally true, but you know, this was a first originally applied to seats in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, it generally applies in systems like ours, which are single member districts, what we call uh, plurality or fir- first past the post races. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is. If you, if you have a small advantage, um, you know, you either win or you lose. Uh, right. in our, we don't have a proportional representation system. So that folks that win, uh, as far as like a statewide percentage, for example, they're going to tend to pick up a, a few more seats uh, than the proportion of the vote. Um, and it is that ratio uh, that, that you mentioned there, that uh, so-called cube rule. And it's, I will say it's not universal. Uh, I'll give you one example where it's not. Up in Canada, our brothers and sisters in the great white north, uh, the conservative party actually got more votes than the liberal party uh, last time around. But because of the geography of Canada, uh, the conservatives are kind of stuck just out in rural areas for the most part, where as the liberals are kind of more evenly spread out, the liberals actually got more seats in their parliament. So the cube rule is not universal, but it is generally applicable, especially if you use it in conjunction with trying to understand the geography of the state and where the voters live. Talking with Andy Jackson, he is the director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. And um, we were talking about the redistricting ruling, the, the cube rule, really 
just sexy stuff here, the cube rule. Uh, but w- what your argument was uh, in this piece of the John Locke website uh, is that North Carolina is not a 50-50 seat, uh, 50-50 state, rather, that this slight advantage that Republicans have, uh, that this does translate into a larger um margin of of victories if you will across the entire state because it gets amplified and you list some of the numbers here um like you say that a nine to five republican advantage for the congressional maps that's the most likely outcome so nine to five nine republican five democrat but do you is is that a map that democrats would accept i think they would probably be okay with a nine to five map don't do you think so well if you would have Probably if you would have asked them a few months ago, they probably would have accepted it. That's The 9-5 map is, uh, was done based on analysis by Zhao Wei Chen, one of the plaintiff's own expert witnesses in the lawsuit. He said that was the most likely outcome of maps drawn using neutral criteria. It was one off from the 10-4 drawn by the General Assembly. So fairly close, it would just take uh, a minor tweak. But now that uh, we've seen what happened with the Supreme Court ruling. I don't know if Democrats would be satisfied uh, with the 9-5. Some of them may even be pushing for a 7-7 seven, seven, uh, because they believe they could get the court to go their way. So I'm fully expecting plaintiffs to be submitting their own maps. I think uh, during the redistricting process, Democrats in the General Assembly are going to be proposing a lot of amendments that will be going for 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I think the times may have changed as far as what Democrats may be willing to accept. Yeah. Um, there was another story uh, the, a couple of uh, days ago about uh, an organization that had sued and had finally settled with the State Board of Elections um, and its list maintenance. And it, this is I'm not going to get into the weeds on that with you, except to bring you back to a post that you had written actually a couple, I think, years ago um, mm-hmm. talking about cases of election fraud in north carolina and people always want to make these arguments that it doesn't exist and if it does exist it's really really small and nobody ever uh notices it it doesn't affect the outcome of races um you listed three different examples and these are all recent examples one is from uh if we could just run through them real quick ballot harvesting in swain county what was that one well, what we had is we had a Swain County commissioner, his name is Glenn Jones, and several of his associates got together and started um, gathering ballots. Basically, they went out to folks that they knew, because this is, was at the time publicly available information, who had absentee ballots, and they went out there to grab those and submit them. Uh, may or may not have been trying to influence voters. There's at least one person uh, that whose ballot they collected uh, who says that they had uh, uh, tried to coerce them into voting uh, for the Democrats in that county. Um, in any case, no matter what the motive is or what you do with the ballot, that is a uh, Class I felony in North Carolina, punishable by up to a year in prison. Um, and, the re- and there's a good reason those kind of things are illegal, because uh, aside from throwing away ballots of people you think didn't vote for you, you can have this coercive influence over people, this undue uh, influence over people's votes because you don't have really the privacy of uh, the voting booth that you would in in-person voting. Uh, nothing came of that case, even though you know even people who didn't say they were coerced, you know, would freely admit it. 
that uh, Jones and others had gathered up their ballots, had, had, uh, had harvested those ballots from them. Right. They targeted an assisted living facility to harvest the ballots, and you said including from one resident who later did not remember voting. This was in 2006, Swain County, North Carolina. Uh, four years later, Yancey County, sheriff's office workers. Uh, this was interesting. They, what, hit up the, uh, the prisoners? They hit up people who, who, uh, who, are under, who had been arrested, um, but who had not been convicted, because, you know, convicted felons can't vote. Um, and the idea is that you know, they would get uh, easier terms on sentences uh, if they cooperated. The inclu- sheriff's account of department officials collected, I think, 10 ballots from one single-wide trailer, for example. Um, and it was only when, and this is, by the way, a good plug for uh, a local newspaper. There is a newspaper uh, in Yancey County which no longer exists because the grocery store stopped putting ads in the paper. Uh, that's how you know close to the edge a lot of these local papers are. We only know of this because of that local paper, which only existed for a few years. And when they confronted one of the prisoners about the illegal voting that they were doing, um, they basically confessed that it was one of the sheriff's deputies that coerced them into doing that. Um, and the sheriff won. It was a tight margin. The State Board of Elections actually collected collected boxes and boxes of information, but nothing, again, nothing ever came of it. Uh, no prosecutors ever took up the case, uh, and that case uh, essentially just died. That was in 2010. Then in 2013, same-day registration. This was over in Robeson County. What happened there? Well, what happened there is, um, I think the most famous incident is that there were some students there at Pembroke University uh, for a basketball camp. So they were not North Carolinians for the most part. They were from all over the South, maybe all over the country. Um, they were all 18 or older, so they could be used in this incident. And they were essentially hauled off by one of a, uh, the local municipal candidates in the town of Pembroke, uh, did same-day registration. Uh, I don't know what addresses they used. Obviously, they didn't use the dorms that they were staying in at the time, although they could have done that. Um, and then those votes were counted uh, because they didn't find out that, they, that this was an instance of illegal registration of people who are not eligible to vote in North Carolina until after uh, the votes had been counted. So they had no way of, of essentially getting those, those things out, and they were you know, forced to rerun that election later on. It wasn't just the basketball camp people. There were people from a uh, a Section 8 housing authority uh, who lived outside of town. They were, you know, bused or banned in, uh, given different addresses to register under, and did same-day registration. This is a particular weakness of same-day registration, that a lot of times the boards of elections, which they are supposed to verify those addresses for those people within three business days, that rarely happens. Uh, Those voters uh, also slipped through the cracks of the system. Those votes counted. Uh, and, and when it was discovered that those were illegal votes, once again, they had to rerun that election later on. There you go. Andy Jackson, the uh, director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. Three 21st century cases of election fraud in North Carolina. Thank you, Andy. Good to talk with you, and uh, we'll catch up to you soon. Appreciate it. See you then. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. So out of those uh, cases that we went over with Andy Jackson, 
from the uh, from the John Locke Foundation. Those three cases from North Carolina, all within the last uh, now what fifteen years or so. Swain County ballot harvesting, Yancey County ballot harvesting, and uh, Robinson County same-day registration, illegal registration of ineligible voters, in, uh, and that was in 2013. Um, of those three cases, you know how many people got charged? None of them. It's part of the problem. People don't get charged for this stuff. Um, and in his piece, uh, and I just ran out of time with uh, Dr. Jackson, but he said in the piece that official indifference to election fraud allows the problem to fester. And I've talked about this before. Usually when I enter into a debate with usually people on the left that are arguing usually against uh, election integrity measures like voter ID, there's a pattern that they almost always follow, which is first is a denial that the thing exists. And not the ID, but vote fraud, election fraud. Right? They, they deny that that exists. So the first step then is to prove to them that it exists. And so you end up in this first argument about producing examples of fraud. So after then they grudgingly acknowledge, if they do, if they grudgingly acknowledge that, okay, yes, some fraud does exist, then uh, they usually argue, but it's not a lot. And so then you have to kind of work out, well, what is a lot? And that this is why, by the way, I'm giving you these examples, because these were a lot. And these were North Carolina. These affected outcomes of races. Now, you can say, well, that's just a local race. Who cares? Well, the people in that jurisdiction care. They had to rerun another election, which has a cost. Right? It affected the outcome because they because that's the that's part of the argument that fallback argument is it's not a lot and it doesn't affect the outcomes. That's the third line that they fall back to. So here you have an example of where actually it did affect an outcome in Yancey County in uh, 2010. They had to rerun the election, I believe is what he said there. Um, oh, I'm sorry, no, this was the Robinson County 2013 Robinson County 2013 Robinson County. They had to rerun the election. He said, we have, to be vi- uh, we have to be vigilant about watching for attacks on the integrity of our elections. In addition, prosecutors must start to take election fraud cases seriously if we're ever going to root it out. That's it, Because this is part of the other uh, prong of their argument is that the lack of prosecutions is proof that it doesn't happen. Well, the lack of prosecutions is because it's not worth the prosecutor's efforts. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the resources to devote to prosecuting these cases. It's difficult to first catch it, and then it's also difficult to devote the resources to uh, investigate and to then secure a conviction. It's much easier to get somebody to just agree to a plea agreement or something and then you know slap them on the wrist for some lower offense. Which is why a couple stories that have come across the uh, the wires here. For example, out of Florida, and I'm going to circle back to North Carolina in a second um, and reference that settlement that the uh, th- that affects uh, the state board of elections here. But down in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis is proposing 
the state create an election crimes agency that would investigate election crimes and irregularities and make referrals for further legal action directly to a statewide prosecutor. Now, this seems to me to be something that should garner universal support. I have to believe, I don't have to believe, I would I would like to believe, <laughs> I choose to believe, that people on the left who argue against certain kinds of election integrity measures, that they are arguing in good faith, they're just misinformed, or they don't understand the argument, or whatever, or they just see it through a partisan lens, or whatever. But, you know, surely... This should be something that you would want, like a state agency that is dedicated to making sure that elections uh, integrity issues are investigated and people who violate uh, the laws and uh, and corrupt the system that they are investigated and prosecuted. Right. Because obviously the local prosecutors aren't aren't able to do it. And so isn't that something that should be universally acceptable? I would think so. but But this is part of the problem. I know that it's not. I do. I I know. I am well aware. Um, It's the same sort of thing that happens with waste, fraud, and abuse at at a particularly the federal level. But you usually the people who are the biggest proponents for the programs and services and the the expenditures that fund them. um, You would think that they would be the biggest supporters of rooting out the waste and fraud and abuse. You would think so, because every dollar that is wasted or stolen is a dollar they can't use for the programs that they support, right? So you would think that they would be the biggest proponents of ferreting out the bad stuff so this way they have more money to fund the things they want to fund. But for some reason, it's like they just go along, get the programs passed, and then they forget about the program. Then they move on to another program. Then they move on to promote some uh, something else. They they're not watching like hawks the expenditures. Now I think there's actually a psychology behind this, which is related to like the the endorphin hit, the satisfaction that people feel in the brain that is related to uh, sort of the virtue signaling, the, the the moral preening that occurs, and that's actually what they're in it for. Like they rely on people, or not they rely on it, but they are motivated by and they really just get hooked on uh, the the knowledge that other people are seeing them acting in this way. That's the primary motivation. It's not really like it's a secondary concern whether or not the thing that they promoted actually works and actually helps somebody, right? Like that's that's secondary. The key is, did everybody see me say that I support this program because I care? That's the primary uh, objective. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Quick programming note. I'm going to be off for a couple of days. Chad Adams is going to be filling in for me. Everything's fine. Don't worry. Uh, I just, we're looking at, uh, well, it's a lot of moving parts right now, but buying the house, finally getting the house. So we're doing moving stuff. So anyway, but uh, I'll be back next week but uh, taking a couple days off to get all of that stuff squared away. So um, let me go over here to, uh, is it Sherrod? Welcome to the program, Sherrod. What's up, man? Hey, how's how it going? How you doing today? Good, what's up? Um, I'm on, I know I'm on the, the, the tail end of the show, but I just want, I, I kind of caught the last 30 minutes, 45 minutes of it. And I, you know what I mean? And, and my thing is, I understand, you know, um, 
and I'm I'm tuning into conservative talk radio. So, and, and I get that we in this, you know, left versus right, you know, right versus left dynamic. But why is it that um, we, I believe that we need to be like focused more on the Republicans as far as what they're doing good or what they're not doing good rather than what the, the Democrats are doing good or not doing good. You know, just being, you know, just I feel like I'm listening to liberal radio. You know, I want to see what the conservative mind state, the conservative belief system is all about. Not really more what the liberals are not doing or what they could be doing, because it's like a never-ending argument, and it's really just long-winded. So, so well, concern. so, Sherrod, uh, first off, this is why it's called the Great Debate. It it, it lasts a really long time. I mean, I these mean, are fundamental. Time, well, hang it, on, these it, are fundamental. Really these are fundamental <laughs> disagreements. Number one on the political spectrum. Number one. Number two. I find it interesting that in all of the discussion about, I guess it was what vote fraud and the election integrity stuff. Right. I didn't give you. I didn't say any party affiliation of any of the cases I mentioned. They were just examples of election fraud. But you assumed I was talking about Democrats committing fraud. I, I find that interesting. Well, um, no, I, I didn't ID any parties. The last part of what you're saying, you were talking about liberals. You said you the said last, the word liberal. I was talking. Right. No, I, I said I said people on the left. I don't consider a lot of people on the left to be liberals any longer. Progressives and liberals are different things people who are engaging in some of the worst behavior on the progressive left they are not liberal in the classic sense of the term liberal means something else okay liberals you can actually uh, you can some liberals like you can actually uh uh agree with them on certain things and look i am a lowercase l libertarian okay so i i have had my share of of fights with uh with the conservative right on a great many things um but right now when I'm talking about what's happening with like uh, uh, the uh, election integrity measures, the resistance is coming from the progressive left. It's not coming from the conservative right. And if the ele- if you do you believe that our elections should be secure and should be administered uh, uh, fairly, right? And you believe that if you go in to vote, that you sh- your vote should count, and I should not be able to disenfranchise you because uh, I right. I voted in your place, right? You you must agree with me on that, right? I could I should not be allowed to get away with stealing your vote, right? Right. Okay, so I understand that. Right, so that's the principle that I'm advocating. It's that that should not be, and it up until uh, mo- mo- pretty recently, it wasn't a partisan uh-huh. idea. Got you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because these terms, the progressives and liberals, you know, because most people can say liberals to be Democrats, conservatives to be, you know, to Republicans. So when you use that terminology, you know, for people that's listening on the airwaves, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They're, they might assume that, if that makes any type of sense. No, I, I absolutely. Was, you know, no, I, I right. agree. Like, like, you got the Republican mm-hmm. Party that is generally the place where people who are conservative uh, right. Hang out. If you're going to be registered as a uh, party member, you're going to be probably uh, on the Republican side. Now, there are right, people, right. and I, I mean, I spent almost a decade in Western North Carolina. There are a ton of people out there. They're registered Democrats and they're conservative. Right. So mm, the labels gotcha. don't always the labels don't always line up. Gotcha. That's why I try I to be that, yeah. That's why I try yeah. to be specific when I'm talking about the left and I'm talking about progressives uh, because gotcha. like that's not like enough. Now I will also be specific if I'm having an argument with Democrats and a Democrat uh, party. Like I try to uh, use those terms to apply. Gotcha. All right. Okay. Yeah. I mean that that that's definitely you know clarified a few things. Yeah. I just think that you know this talk can be a lot more progressive. Um, you know, 
it's just basically just trying to be more negative on uh, whatever party you're on. So no, I'm t- you know, I, I, oh, so hang on. I will I, I will completely admit mm-hmm. I am I try to be more negative towards progressivism. Absolutely, gotcha. I find it. I find it to be toxic. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But that's. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's my opinion. If you disagree and you think progressivism is the bee's knees, then uh, you're free to call in, like you have, and defend well, you know certain I'm, certain I'm, issues I'm, or elements of the philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty more of a of a moderate type guy. You know, I'm pretty more in the middle. I mean, it's things certain things I'm left about, certain things I'm right about. Mm-hmm. I think that the normal human being yeah. is not completely one thing. You know, all the way around. Yeah, so I agree. It's just, you know, it's just depending on what this issue is and things of that nature. But I definitely think that this talk can be very more you know uh, productive uh, when we um, more so than focus on what party that we're affiliated with and then try to you know, kind of make, not really make our case, but it is that when we talk about another person, we subconsciously make them more powerful, right? So it's kind of just, you know, make it where we're, we're, we're more, we're, we're being real with ourselves and not just kind of pointing the finger, but also just trying to make what we are better, if that makes sense. Like make what, uh, you know, what we stand for and kind of push that along. Because if, if, if we kind of focus on the other person like i said before subconsciously we make them more powerful so, so i would you know. yeah so look i i get it i appreciate the call sherrod i gotta run appreciate i'm out of the brother. i'm out of time yeah yeah absolutely have a good one and, and call back i'm i i prefer to have those types of conversations um i welcome them i i, I enjoy them like that's the problem you know you're talking to a political science guy you know, poli sci people like you realize very quickly they actually enjoy those conversations. So I'm fine having those discussions and the debates and all of that stuff. Totally fine to do it. I am also uh, I also try to find ways to you know uh, uh, encourage people to try to articulate this is the difference in the philosophy as I did in the first part of the show. We talked about. Um, Ella Scarborough and the the county commissioner's vote to uh, to pay her her salary and her benefits. And my point was that's one way to go. The other way to go, which I thought would have been a better way, it's a limited government per, uh, perspective, which is call upon people and ask them to help voluntarily. And I think it would have actually been a much better story, a nicer story, a feel good story, and a way to honor her had we been asked to help, but we weren't given that opportunity. It's a different mindset. Anyway. Brett Winterbull coming up next. Stay tuned, and uh, I'll catch up with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.